Mark, that was chock full of both kind of beautiful biblical storyline, glory, purpose of the universe with lots of really practical stuff. It's like, I don't even know where to start here. Um, let's start with money. You said 15% for, for Capitol Baptist. That doesn't include, am I correct in thinking, helping other healthy churches. So that's 15% to missions overseas. And then another 15% to other kinds of... Like your, like, uh, like your church. Right, okay. Other, helping other healthy, healthy churches. Yeah. Or churches be healthy. Uh, my church, I mentioned to you guys, 30,000 is what we were thinking through, and our, our, that's 10% of our budget. Uh, how about you guys? What, what percentage, and how did you come up with the percentages of your budget that you give to missions? Do you, do you mind sharing? Just kind of go around? What's your, what's your percentage, and how did you get to that percentage? Yeah, well, I don't know how we got to this percentage exactly. don't know that the number was, uh, was a target, per se. But I just checked. We give 22% for what we deem to be missions, but that includes uh, church planting and our pastoral in internship program in the vicinity, in the region. Okay. And the pastoral internship program. Okay. Ours is a, a five-year-old church plan. It's 10%, but that does include uh, some local mission as well, some church planting. And above that, we take an annual uh, generosity offering that we use for missions. Any idea how you got to 10% or 15% or mark? Yeah, we were a North American board. What? Uh, we were a North American mission board church plant. They oh, required 10% as okay. the beginning part. <laughs> How's that? That's, that's the answer. So you didn't think long and hard. You just, no, we did what we were told. I wasn't there then, but that's, that's where we started. Mark, how did you get to 15%? Oh, when I got to the church, uh, they, uh, they, they liked missions. They didn't have a lot of money. They were running in the red. It was a, a fairly small budget. But the first thing I did, even before I was installed as the pastor in September, in August, they had a missions committee meeting, and I went to it. Uh, and I made it clear that I wanted to see the missions budget growing as a percentage of the church's whole budget uh, by a possible one percentage point of the budget each year. And I just said, let's max it as much as we can. And generally, pastor, if the senior pastor will do that, then that takes the pressure off of any missions committee or missions advocate. The senior pastor needs to do that because the senior pastor is going to be the one who hears the families complain there's not enough work with the youth or just all, all kinds of other things. All the ways you can spend money on yourself, people will first appeal to you because surely you have a self-interest in seeing your local church grow. So if you become the guy who tries to make sure the money goes out the door to work elsewhere, that's usually really helpful. So we got it up to 15%, and that's where we finally just cried uncle. We just said that's, we really, with everything else we're doing, that's, that's all we can do. And then we have another 15% on top of that that tries to help other churches in the U.S., and that would be things like our internship program. So 30% of the budget is going to try to help churches other than our own. Uh, for our SBC friends, that was, what, 60%, 70% here? Of that 15%, uh, what, how much of that is uh, SBC, cooperative program, IMB? Half of it? Uh, somewhere between 40% and half, something like that. And the rest is going to be to individuals. 
by name. But our SBC giving is kind of broken up too. So some of our okay. SBC giving is in that other 15%, the money that we give to seminaries and other things like that. So it's, it's kind of broken up. And the, yeah, within the international missions of that 15%, uh, you know, roughly half-ish is gonna be directly to the International Mission Board that we cooperate with. And the rest of it is gonna be to individual people that maybe we've sent out that are doing things, Bible translation, other stuff that the IMB isn't doing, stuff like that. One thing I might add on the 15%, we, we don't have a set, you know, agreed upon amount for the rest of the money that we give to help local churches, help send guys to seminary. Uh, not that we don't think that's important, but even in our own church, we felt a real pressure that the, the stuff that's right in front of you, you need some kind of discipline because yeah. when like, you know, Nathan, who's a member of your church, is wanting to go to seminary and you want to help pay for his seminary, and there's work off somewhere else that, that you think is important, but, you know, it's not right in front of your face. It, it, you need some kind of discipline to keep the focusing. Carlson's have been in Malaysia forever. We give them eighty-five thousand dollars a year. They'd be great with seventy-eight thousand. Yeah, we can take that seven thousand and get Nathan his seminary support. Yeah. So yeah. we've we found it's helpful as a church, even as much as I think we're all committed to the idea of international missions, to have some kind of informal discipline that just says, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna raid this amount of money to pay for Chevrolet Baptist Church. Church well, that, that percentage, like we're, we're going to discipline ourselves to not do what's right in front of us, but further away, is why in the last session I was saying, I think you need to keep the yes. The practical way of keeping the yes in missions and not just say, hey, we're all on mission, is something like that. Well, that's why I have mixed feelings about the Southern Baptist copyrighted on mission. You know, we're living on mission. Like, well, I, I appreciate what it means. You yes. know, they're just trying to Affirm. make us accountable for every day, Romans Affirm. 12. But I would just say, uh, it's slightly undermining that good old distinction. I like that good old distinction. I want to keep it out there and keep us pushing toward that. Trip. Uh, church I'm at now, I'm brand new, so I don't know the percentage of the mission budget. Church I've been at, I was at for the past uh, three and a half years was about 10%. The way we got to that, um, uh, just as pastors sitting around talking about our budget after the first couple of years, we we decided we wanted to have a larger it's hard with a church plant. You have so much going on, yeah. and, it, and it's hard, and you're barely doing anything that you're doing. Nobody's getting, none of the pastors are getting paid what they hope to get paid. Everything is really tight, but we wanted to try to, from the beginning, have a priority of using lots of our, as much as we can, um, to give outward to help build other churches. You s told me in a side conversation somewhere, when you get to your, or at your new church, you're thinking about ways you can encourage that increasing that consideration of that. What, what are some of those things you consider yourself again. doing? Say it again. You are hoping to look for ways to encourage a growth in missions, attention to missions. What are the kind of things you're thinking about doing to encourage that? Because you're not the lead pastor, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so from your position as an associate pastor, mm -hmm. what are things that you can do to help encourage the church give more attention? Uh, since teaching is one of the main things that I do, I mean, when I when we are in texts of scripture, like the ones that we're talking about here, I want to help the members of the church to get a strong vision and passion for seeing gospel fruit in more places than just our own church. Uh, and to maintain that distinction too, uh, not just seeing healthy local churches in general, but also really intentionally thinking globally. And for right now, in the uh, particular position that I'm in, I think that's the main way that I can help foster that in my church. Excellent. Yeah. Thabiti, percentage? 
I, I think it, we started at 10%. We, we just wanted missions support in the DNA of the plant. And so from the first year of the plant, we, we pegged it at 10% of our um, total income. Next question, how many missionaries do you support? And how do you think about how much you support the mat? How many missionaries do you support? And in some ways, I guess you're gonna have to relativize it to your budget. And how much do you think about supporting them at? Let's do it this way. Thabiti, brother. Uh, our, our philosophy is fewer at a higher level. Um, right now, in, in terms of international folks that we support, not, not kind of like campus workers here in the States, things like that, so international support. Uh, I think we support three persons, two or three persons. Um, and we've provided some startup support for a brother who's working internationally, trying to raise funds for indigenous workers uh, in that. And so that's, so one of the guys we support at 10,000 a year, another guy at uh, about 6,000 a year, um, based in part on their need and, and what we can do. Got it. At Capitol Hill Baptist, we're currently supporting about 20 missionaries. About a third of them are out with the International Mission Board. So we're just giving the money to the International Mission Board, and they're setting their salary based on where they're living. Of the other two-thirds that we're sort of directly funding, it does kind of depend. I think the main principle is overall we want to be, be their primary source of support or something close to that. So, but then sometimes it just depends on circumstances. Like we had a, a, a sister, Lee, you know, who was a Chinese national. She was converted through the ministry of our church. We're the only Christians she'd ever known or been a part of. So it just seemed kind of strange and cruel to send her out, you know, into America to try to go raise funds. So we, when she went back and did some work, we just supported her entirely, 100%. Then we had another sister, Mandy, who had been doing student work, she already had a, more support than she needed. She was gonna go do work in a country that was way less expensive than DC. So we still gave her about $5,000. And she said, I really don't need any money at all. And we were like, well, you have to take some money because we want the congregation to know if we're not gonna send you overseas if we don't think you're worth us putting our money behind. But she gets most of her money from other folks. So some of it's just prudential. But I think our principle is normally uh, we want to be their main source of support. And if we don't want to do that, we want to think really seriously about whether we should be sending them overseas. And Andy, just a word of explanation about why we want to be their main source of support. Uh, one is just we're the people that are going to know them best. If we don't think they're worth us putting this money behind, you know, why would we try to get other people to give them money? You know, we don't need to be sending them overseas probably. And also, there's just there's accountability that comes with money. I mean, in, you don't want to sound too commercial, but, but money does sort of monetize what you think of a relationship. And if we're their primary source of support, it's reasonable for us to expect this kind of relationship where they're coming back and spending their time with us. We don't want them to be getting their support from 100 different places where when they come back to the States, they're having to visit all these churches. We love it if... Like, you know, one family that's in East Asia, there's a church up in Pennsylvania and our church. And together, we make up about 90% of this family support. So when they come back, they spend a month, month and a half with us and a month and month and a half up in Pennsylvania. And that's, that's all the people they need that's to visit. That's good for them spiritually. Oh, it's good for them spiritually. Instead of going it's good, to 15 it's good, churches. Yeah, it's good for our church. We know these people. 
And, uh, and it's good for accountability. You know, we, if there's ever any issues, I just, there's one church, I know who they are, I can give them a call, we can talk together about ways to help them. Uh, it just your, seems your members are building relationship with that individual because they're there for a whole month and they're learning about what's going on wherever. So it's creating vision in the minds of your members. I think I understood 40% of what you said. It's hard to hear up here, isn't it? It's actually hard for us to hear each other up here. Yeah. Um, I, you heard what I, I said, right? Yeah, and it was really good, Jonathan. Yeah. Well done. It was really Thank good. You. Thank you. So, Trip. Well, hold on, hold on. Is this kind of what you had in mind when you said fewer with more? Yeah, absolutely. And, and part of what I love about what he's describing uh, is, so, so in our case as a church plant, the folks that we're supporting are, are not yet folks who've sort of come up through the congregation itself. So these are relationships with folks that we have established that we've had to introduce to the congregation. So what you're describing in terms of someone being able to be at the church for a month and a half and maybe one other church for a month and a half, they actually become part of the church in a very real and meaningful right. way. Uh, and so we, we want to sort of follow that principle with that in mind too, that they become part of us, we become part of them, we share together in the work of the gospel in that yeah. way. Yeah, and it takes time. 20 years ago, most of the missionaries that Capitol Hill Baptist supported either had gone out from Capitol Hill Baptist 20, 30 years ago, or they were from other churches, which was great. And uh, it's just been over time, they become more and more members of our church that we've sent out. But I think initially, you're gonna, you may not have that much relational capital to build with. You're going to have to build that over years. Sure. Yeah, in the church that I had been at, uh, there were a few families that we supported, three different families. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't have the kind of budget where we can be their main source of support, but for each of them, depending on their needs, it was a few thousand per family. Yeah. Mark, so as, as you were moving from a lot with a little, presumably you had a lot of tough conversations, both to the individuals themselves, no, we're not going to send you those $400, and to the people back in the church who loved that person, and that $400 was emotionally significant. True? True. Any wisdom for, for brothers and sisters here and, and, and that moving yeah. your church from supporting a lot with a little to uh, a little with a lot? I remember meeting a pastor. We were on the same board together for a few years, and he was a really nice guy, and we were in a story about me having a difficult conversation with a member, and he just smiled. And he was in his 60s or 70s. He just smiled and said, I couldn't imagine ever having a conversation like that, uh, a conversation like that. And I thought in my head, and I bet you're a miserable pastor. Uh, the pastor is not a place for cowards. It's not a place for nice guys. I mean, you want to be nice. You want to be kind. You want to be loving. You want to be merciful. But if you are not willing to be the guy who there's a conversation that needs to happen that nobody wants to have, if you're not willing to stand and say, I'm going to go have that conversation, you should not be a pastor. You may win a popularity con con contest, and you may have a large church, and everybody may speak well of you. But the Lord will not say well done on the last day. Part of what you have to do, because we're in a fallen world, is you're going to have to have hard conversations sometimes. And you don't relish it. It's not the main thing you do, but it is an essential part of being a pastor. You just must have those difficult conversations. And yes, when we were changing, for the, the phrase I used with the missions committee back in 94, 95 was, let's support fewer missionaries to the glory of God. Because I knew it would shock them, and I meant to get their attention. I wanted to be provocative. And what I meant was instead of supporting, you know, 30 couples with $100 or $500 a piece, let's support three at $35,000 a piece. 
you know, and that's that way we have a much more substantial relationship with them. And it really takes the wear and tear off them. And uh, it's, uh, it, it was a lot of difficult conversations and there were some people who had close relationships with him who had some of the hard parts of those conversations for me because they would have more credit with them and they understood what we were doing and agreed with it. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's hard sometimes. I mean, there were some, it was frankly not that hard to cut off. You know, there was this, there was this one guy. <laughs> Everybody just slightly leaned forward in their seats. Okay, there's this one guy. The one guy. I'm sitting at a missions banquet we had every year at our church back then. He's sitting right next to me. I'm quickly editing details. Um, <laughs> They've been supporting him for a long time. He'd been on staff at the church. And uh, his wife was working. He stayed at home. Uh, he was in America. He was like 100 miles from our church. I asked him what he was doing. He was planting a church. How long had he been planting it? For 10 years. Okay. I would call that a church. Uh, you know, you plant a church, you know, you see a church constituted, it's planted, past tense, now you're a church. Maybe a young church, but you're a church. And somebody says they're a church planted for five years, and they go, like, well, I kind of know what you mean, but I think if you're giving the Lord's Supper and baptizing, you're a church. So with this guy, I asked, so are there just not other gospel preaching churches around? He said, oh, no, there's a lot of gospel preaching churches around. There's a, he mentioned this large interdenominational church I knew of in this one town, like three miles from him. Okay. And, I, and then I was trying to just go through the toolbox in my mind saying, well, what is he doing there? And I said, oh, are there not any other Baptist churches around? He said, oh, no, there's a Baptist church, uh, you know, uh, two miles that way. He said, but, it, but it's an American Baptist church. I said, well, did, did they preach the gospel? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, okay. So I didn't say this to him, but in my mind I'm going, so we're giving you, like, I don't know what we're giving him, ten, fifteen thousand 15000 a year. It was a lot because he'd been a staff member. We're giving you ten or $15,000 a year to make sure there is a Southern Baptist church within a five-mile radius? What an utter waste of God's money. I mean, who cares if there's a Southern Baptist church? You want there to be a faithful gospel preaching church? I particularly, no offense Presbyterian friends and others, I would like there to be a Baptistic church, you know, where believers are baptized, congregational. But where they send their mission dollars to, whether it's National Baptist or American Baptist, if they're evangelical, or Southern Baptist or GARBC or one of the other hundred Baptist denominations, that's just not a gospel kingdom concern. That's like which publisher published this. You know, it's just, uh, I, I love Southeastern Seminary, but we can give them money regardless of whether somebody calls us Southern Baptist. So it's just, I thought that was a very poor use of the congregation's money to help make sure for 10 years this guy gets paid to make sure there's a meeting up there that's not even, even able to support itself that could be called Southern Baptist. I so just you, thought, you had a tough conversation at that moment yes. or later. <laughs> yes? Yes. <laughs> I was going on, sorry. Yeah, that's all right. It was all eloquent. Uh, Chuck? I, I believe everyone that's gone out from our church has gone out through the IMB. And so that support comes through our cooperative program and our lot of moon giving. We have a couple of folks that we've helped out of our generosity campaign, which we take that offering once a year. We look at it then annually and see what are some needs that are current. What we give tends to be, it's, it's certainly not majority support for these folks and it's on an annual basis to see how we can help them. We're, we're still learning, we're a church plant, we're still trying to figure this out. As of yesterday, we had two church members who met to help us think about how do we, how do we help shepherd our folks on the field. So this very issue of how do we stay connected with them, how do we love on them from a distance, we're, we're still learning. Got it. 
I want to echo what Mark said about the importance of reforming your missions budget. This happened in the life of our church about a decade ago. Um, the church was moving, I think, in a, in a positive, healthy direction. The elders came to recognize that many of the people we were supporting on our missions budget were simply operating with a different ministry philosophy and often with different underlying theology and that the work they were doing wasn't work that we really wanted to support. So we had to start the hard work of really assessing uh, who is on that supported worker list. Now it's... Time out, time out. Different theology. Are we yeah. talking baptism? Are we talking gospel? Are we talking... What category are we in? That's Authority of scripture? Yeah, a lot of pragmatics. Pragmatic uh, philosophy to ministry, issues of God's sovereignty that would have come out in counseling and such. Okay, sorry. Go back yeah. to... So, yeah, after five hard years of reforming the mission's budget, now we have six or eight people, and they're doing work in places like um, Jordan, Kazakhstan, reaching Afghans, Iranians, and work in the local area. Do you have any more cool stories for us? I'll tell you later. I think you've got more to cover. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry. Um, on, on, on Mark's, you made the point about this guy who had been out wasn't any fruit to speak of. That, that kind of brings me to my next question is, what do you do with missionaries that just don't seem to bear fruit? I mean, we have the Adoniram Judson, you know, six to seven years before a convert. Okay, we, we applaud that sort of perseverance and we, we commend it. At the same time, it does seem like there are some people who perhaps are just in the wrong place, shouldn't be doing that, doesn't seem like a wise investment. How do you as churches assess success? Like we all know it's faithfulness. Nonetheless, when do, you, when do you get to the point where you say, yeah, this is just, this is not wise and we need to encourage you to do something else? Any, any of you can jump in on this. I'm not gonna answer the question, but just to give a preface to the answer. Yeah. Pastors, once again, speaking to you, this is where you owe it to the mission board. If you're using the IMB like Chuck is and like we do, and I, and I love the IMB, it helps us financially so much because we're raising up a lot more missionaries by God's grace than we could ever pay for. And so we're partnering with other churches who might not have any missionaries from their own number to pay for, but they have some money they can contribute. So it's a great partnership. So if you don't know about the IMB and the cooperative program, I really encourage you to look into it, get to know more about it. But if, if there is a brother or sister who wants to go out, or even if they're already out and we keep up on their work and we know that we have reason to be concerned, I'm leaving aside the hard question you ask of how you know they're not fruitful enough, leaving that aside. But if we have reached that conclusion, I would implore you to have the difficult conversation. Do not make it be an IMB personnel thing. They'll have to do it anyway, but often they can't do it or they won't do it. And we need to be the ones to do it. We're the ones that they have the old relationships with. We're the ones who've done their father's funeral. We're the ones who maybe knew them in high school. We are the ones who have that relational capital from God for a reason. So pastors, we need to man up and we, or at least someone in our congregation who's a leader and who's close to them, we need to be the ones to have those hard conversations when we come to the conclusion that one of these brothers now is gonna share with us the wisdom of how we get to that conclusion. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly so you have, right. you have hard conversations without the wisdom? Okay, go on. <laughs> that's, that's even the case with, with evangelism. To, to Mark's point earlier, uh, going across the ocean is not gonna make you evangelistic. 
And so if you know that you have folks who want to be missionaries, but they're not going across the street to tell their neighbors about Jesus, I'm not putting my, my dollars behind that person uh, because they're not going to pick up that passion just because they got on an airplane. Uh, and so for, from the IMB, we have to take our applicants and walk them through this, even holding them accountable to doing personal evangelism. And we shouldn't have to be doing that. They should be coming to us from your churches already with that passion that they get from you, not from, from us. We ought to be able to build on what you've already given them. So how do we think about fruit? How do we evaluate? Um, my mind goes to a couple of places. First Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. We, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. What is required of stewards is that they be found faithful. So you, you kind of made faithful a given and moved on pretty quick. I just want to come back to that. Say the first thing I'm looking for is faithfulness with the gospel. Is there theological integrity? Is there integrity with the, with the message? As, elsewhere in Corinthians, Paul says, one man plants, another waters, God gives the increase. So I'm interested in planting and watering. So am I seeing them do the things with the gospel that um, lead to, by God's grace, conversion? So are they evangelizing? Are, are they, am I talking with someone who seems to me to be overly preoccupied with strategy? They're always debating strategy, but actually never talking to their neighbor. Or am I talking with someone who's actually working to meet people and share and so on and so forth? So that, that's a part of success to me, even though we're not talking about the, the outcome there. Then I'm thinking about their, their spiritual and physical health, right? So back to the earlier conversation, are they fruitfully involved as members in a local church? And, and are they uh, if that's a possibility, and, and are they benefiting from that and benefiting others spiritually in the local church? And what's going on with them physically and mentally? Um, are, they, are they well? Or am I dealing with someone who, this isn't a success issue, it's just a well-being issue, dealing with someone who's, who's you know, deeply depressed for a long time uh, and maybe needs to be brought off the field or uh, what have you. So I'm thinking about those kinds of issues pastorally as well. At no point, though, did you list conversions? I, I don't think it's within the missionary's ability to convert someone. What if, they've been, what if they've been there for 10 years and no conversions? I don't think that's necessarily a failure. I mean, you, you were citing historical examples. It, it just may be good tilling of hard ground, and God in his kindness will send someone else next who sees the fruit from it. I think, I think of one worker we've supported for years in a European country who I don't know what conversions he's reported, and he, you know, he may look a bit like the tortoise, but I think the brother is fruitful, just in, in a different kind of way. I do think, Jonathan, when I get closer to what you're asking about and what nobody's taken the bait of, that I'll, I will maybe take the bait and we'll see what you do with tortoise soup. Um, you know. uh, I do think if it's somebody who's not on the mission field yet, they're in our church, like, like your example, Chuck, and they wanna come forward and present themselves as a missionary, that's where if I don't see them, and I, I, probably won't, I probably won't use the old language of soul winner and know that they're being used as an instrument of conversion because I don't think it's the only reason or the only way God uses people fruitfully. But the, the more vague language I'll use is if I don't see them as a change agent in others' lives, then I'm skeptical of us investing in them. So whether or not it's when somebody starts meeting with them you know, their life starts to either become a Christian or they start growing in Christ. If, if they're not somebody who regularly is taking initiative and is a change agent in others' lives, then I'm probably not going to encourage us to start off supporting them. 
Yeah. Can... Trip. Everybody. Yeah, Trip. Everybody. Who's Everybody's go? ready. Go ahead. Hey, I'm well, in charge here. Let, Trip. Okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask a question. Is it possible back. for somebody to be faithful, but just not very good at it? Like maybe, maybe they just don't have the particular gifts to do really well in the particular area that they are, but they're being faithful and they're, you know, serving integrity, theological integrity, that makes you say, well, maybe this isn't the right person to give our money to, and how do you make that decision? Well, it's with a preacher. A guy might be faithful, but, you know, you're not really a preacher. You're not going to hire him. Well, I think the example Mark gave, like, if, if you got people in your church, sometimes I explain it to people this way. If I've got two families in my church, and they both want to go be missionaries, you know, I'm a Calvinist. I think God alone saves people. You know, I don't think people convert them, but maybe this is like Calvinist meets slight charismatic stuff. But if I got these two families, they're both faithfully sharing the gospel and one family, everybody they talk to seems to become a Christian and the other family, everybody they talk to is looking at their watch and wants to go do something else. Um, I'm totally sending the first family overseas as a missionary. Why? It just seems wise. God's blessing seems to be on those people. So that's on the front end. On the back end, when you're talking about somebody who's overseas, he's there for five, six, ten years, there's no fruit, how do you assess whether they should be doing it? Well, yeah, there's a lot of ways you should assess it, but kind of to the conversation we just had about money, you can't assess it if you don't have a relationship with them. There's nothing you can put in an Excel spreadsheet that is going to enable you to be able to make that decision. You know, like what the BD's saying. Like, you're going to have to know that person, know their life. You're probably going to have to go spend time with them overseas and see what they're doing. Yeah. There's just not a quick, easy, plug-in-the-numbers way to decide whether somebody's faithful. And you may get over there and say, hey, this person just doesn't seem to function well in another culture. They're not talking to other people. They haven't learned the language yet. I think this just isn't for them. But it's going to take time and a relationship. You can't do it by just looking at a column, a column of numbers of conversion. helpful. Yeah, I, I think that's critical, Andy. I, I think it's easy to get a report from somebody from across the seas and say, I've been faithful. It's just not God's sovereign plan for anybody to get converted under my ministry. Then you get there and you find out they're lazy. They never leave their house. They never learn the language. And they fall back on sovereignty as an excuse. And I don't think we can take that. I think the only way we can do that is we have to be in their life and find out what's really going on. So I'm with you completely. Well, and if I can offer this unsympathetic word, uh, my friends who witnessed these things firsthand, whether through working at the IMB in Richmond or overseas, there are lazy missionaries, just like there's lazy pastors, sure. right? Yeah, we don't know any of them. But <laughs> <laughs> you got something else on this? I, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier. Well, the one happy thing I'd end this on, too, is you also need to have relationships because you may have other, there may be a flip side to this, too. Uh, I won't name names, but there's one particular missionary I know who's this Eeyore-like guy that from a distance, yeah, I would communicate with him like, what's happening? Nothing. Like nobody's, nobody's doing anything. Well, I'd go visit this guy and I'd go take a walk with him. What are you doing? Oh, it's hard here. Nothing much happening. I'm going to go over and do a Bible study at, you know, Zumrod's house. I'm like, oh, really? Is Zumrod studying the Bible? Yeah, she's a Christian now. Well, Zumrod wasn't a Christian the last time I was here. Yeah, I guess so. 
Guess, yeah. And so, so you just have to be in people's lives to be able to assess faithfulness. Last word, Tweety. Yeah, I, that's awesome. I did. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to the story you told about Lee. Chinese sister converted at your church, grows up in the faith there, and now is looking to go and serve in some way. And her entire social network is your local church. The point I want to draw out from that is that there are lots of ethnic minorities for whom the sort of social network for raising support to go is quite small. And I just want to encourage people to have an eye toward uh, some persons who are coming from ethnic backgrounds for whom that's a challenge um, and to be particularly generous and supportive uh, with persons in that, in that category. Help. 